Mississippi, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. What is the real debate? The real debate is over the grace of God. That's what the real debate is. This isn't a few verses here and there in the scripture. It isn't that someone knew someone who, who lived a life like this and, and said they were saved before and all that. It isn't that. That is not the issue. The real bottom line issue is God's grace. And the truth is this, that our faithfulness to the Lord didn't initially save us and it doesn't keep us saved. You weren't saved by the grace of God and now you're on your own. It, it wasn't like that. It isn't like that at all. The only letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that did not contain some sort of commendation in the greeting was the one to the Galatians. Why? Well, he was appalled that they were believing that they were saved by grace, but that they had to do certain things, in their case, keep the Old Testament ceremonial law, in order to stay saved. In fact, he said in chapter 3 that they were foolish and asked, Who has bewitched you? Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff will be sharing more from Galatians and many other passages as we continue our consideration of the dangers of not believing in the eternal security of those who trust Christ for salvation. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Whether you already grasp this vital concept of eternal security or you're still wondering about it as I did for many years, or maybe you completely disagree I think that today's lesson and this whole series will be beneficial. We'll be thinking a lot today about God's amazing grace. Here's Pastor Steve with today's Bible lesson. For the last few weeks, we've taken a break from our study in the Gospel of John in order to focus in on an important biblical subject, the security of our salvation. How secure are we in Christ? You may know it by the expression, once saved, always saved. Last week after the morning service, I was speaking with one of our visitors, and after hearing the message, she asked me if there was a problem at Lakeside concerning uh, this issue of eternal security, and I responded to him by saying there's no problem uh, to my knowledge. In fact, to my knowledge, I don't know of one person in this congregation that doesn't believe in eternal security. Now, there may be some, it's just I don't know of any. Then you might wonder... And question, why are we studying it then? Why are we studying this issue if we don't have a problem at Lakeside concerning eternal security? Well, let me tell you for a few reasons. First of all, I want to put it in Chuck Swindoll terminology. Uh, I want to help you to strengthen your grip concerning this subject. Because I think that most of us, if not all of us, while we hold to this, to this truth, we don't have really a grip on it. Or let me put it this way. Perhaps it doesn't have a grip on your heart. Perhaps it doesn't really, or hasn't up to this point, gripped your heart what our salvation is all about, the depth of it. I think that while we theologically believe we're secure in Christ, sometimes it isn't a settled conviction that has affected our lives. And that really is what Bible truth is all about to affect our lives so that we might glorify God. Not just to affect our lives, but to affect our lives in such a way that it brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may know a few Bible verses to support your position. I suppose that most of us know at least uh, 
we should know by this point a few Bible verses that, that we could defend our position concerning this matter of eternal security. But we want you to go deeper with that because what if you had to, uh, what if you had someone oppose your position? What if you had somebody question some of those verses? Could you, could you give them more truth and more light on the subject? There's another reason why we're taking so many weeks to go over this and that I don't want you to just believe the truth. I don't want you to just believe the truth. I want you to know why you believe the truth. And there's a difference. I don't want you to just have a neat little package that says, this is what I believe. And when someone says, what do you believe? You say, I believe what my church believes. Well, what do they believe? They believe what I believe. Well, what do you believe? I believe what the pastor believes. And on and on it goes. In fact, this is why in my own uh, ministry as, as pastor teacher here at Lakeside, why I spent so much time in explaining to you the meaning of the scriptures that we're dealing with. Because we don't want you to go from here just, uh, just believing the truth. We want you to see why you believe that truth, because that builds conviction into your life. I don't want to just deliver a, a message to you and say, here, this is what you believe. I want you to see from God's word why you believe that. And so that's why we take so much time. And, and when we do this in the matter of eternal security, when, when we begin to see this, why we believe that we're secure in Christ, and you will have a greater appreciation of your salvation. And that greater appreciation of your salvation will lead you and bring about a greater desire to serve the Lord who gave you that salvation. And as a result of that, you will grow in your understanding of Him. Because as we understand the salvation that He gave us, we understand who He is and what His grace is all about. And we also understand who we are and how undeserving we are of that grace. So in order to give you a hands on the subject of eternal security, I call it safety for the sheep. Our approach has been fourfold. And if you're taking notes, this is our basic outline. Maybe before this series ends, we'll add one more. And I'm thinking about dealing with the, uh, the subject that's connected with this on for those who doubt their salvation. Maybe it's not eternal security that's the issue, but maybe there are those who, in fact, I, I know there are people who, who have doubts about whether they are saved or not. And so I'm thinking of dealing with that at the end. But for now, we have looked at the debate over eternal security. What is the real debate? Last week, we began to look at the dangers of not believing in eternal security. It's a very serious thing to not believe in that. It is not an isolated uh, truth in Scripture. It is related to all other truths. And there are serious dangers of not believing in eternal security. The Lord willing, next week, we'll look at the defense of eternal security. What, what are we, how do we defend it? Do we defend this issue uh, by saying, I believe it, because I, it has to be that way? No, we defend it based on the truths of the Word of God. It isn't our experience that defends anything, but the Word of God that does. And then we'll look, Lord willing, at the difficulties associated with eternal security. Difficult passages such as Hebrews 6. Uh, other passages that people stumble over and say, aha, this shows that we can lose our salvation. We're going to try to deal with those and explain them to you so that you'll see uh, what they really mean. Well, let's quickly review. Uh, we've looked at the debate over eternal security. What is the real debate? The real debate is over the grace of God. That's what the real debate is. This isn't a few verses here and there in the scripture. It isn't that someone knew someone who, who lived a life like this and, and said they were saved before and all that. It isn't that. That is not the issue. The real bottom line issue is God's grace. 
And the truth is this, that our faithfulness to the Lord didn't initially save us, and it doesn't keep us saved. You weren't saved by the grace of God, and now you're on your own. It, it wasn't like that. It isn't like that at all. In fact, I'd like you to turn to a very famous passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. And you might say, oh, I've heard this over and over again. Well, let me read it to you and explain it a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and let's include 10. Often we leave 10 out. And let's see what it really says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Let's stop there for a moment. If you were a student of the Greek language, you would see that Paul is using the strongest and the clearest language he could possibly use to express the grace of God in the permanency of our salvation. In the Greek language, uh, without boring you with, with all the technical terms, let me say this, that the tenses of the Greek uh, verb and participle make this verse, verse 8, mean that a person has entered into a saved position and permanently stays in that position. Not just that he's saved and could possibly lose it. He has entered into that and he permanently stays in that condition. One Greek scholar translates verse 8 this way. By grace you have been saved in past time completely. With the result that you are in a state of salvation which persists through present time. Let me read that again. By grace, you have been saved in past time completely with the result that you are in a state of salvation which persists through present time. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, God saved you by his grace and put you in a position whereby that salvation never ends. You have been saved and you have a permanent position of salvation. Your efforts and my efforts have nothing to do with our salvation. You say, what about believing? What about faith? Well, really, that's a gift too. That's a gift too. But our efforts have nothing to do with salvation. Because look at verse 9. Not as a result of works, or let's put efforts there. Not as a result of, of efforts that no one should boast. If you could get to heaven in any way by yourself, whether it's initially by your own works, or whether it's keeping yourself saved, then you could pat yourself on the back and say, I made it. I'm really something. I've held out faithful to the end. I've persevered. I've made it. You know what that is? That's boasting. And God says there'll be none of that in heaven. Do you realize that in heaven there'll be no person who will ever boast? No person, that's what this verse says, not as a result of works that no one should boast. In fact, that's one of the reasons, the primary reason why it's by grace, that no one will boast. The other reason is that nobody could ever make it if it was anything but grace. But God has made it by grace through faith so that no one could boast and pat themselves on the back and say, I held out faithful. I made it. I got here by my godly obedience. No, no one will ever be able to do that. There is no boasting in our salvation. You know, the concept of grace is often misunderstood. Some have defined grace this way, and I like this. God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, God gives us all the riches of salvation, and we've been studying about that in Ephesians. All the riches of salvation, but we often forget that's at Christ's expense. 
the cross, the, the spitting in his face, the, the slapping of his face, the crown of thorns, all at the expense of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's riches at Christ's expense. Man doesn't work for grace. If he did, then it wouldn't be grace. It's given to him. Man cannot pay it back either. You can't pay God back. You can't do anything to earn grace or else it wouldn't be grace. Grace is when God chooses to give man favor out of his divine graciousness apart from any merit in man, whether it be past, present, or future. It is all of grace or it is none of grace. And listen, if you weren't good enough to initially be saved, then why do you think you're good enough to keep being saved. I mean, that's the problem with the Galatians. That's what, that's what Paul's letter to the Galatians is all about. If you began in the Spirit, he says, if you, if you began by the Spirit of God doing a work in your heart and you simply believe, why are you going now into Judaism and, and going back under law to, to keep yourself saved? That's the whole point. And that's the Galatian heresy. And that's the other gospel that Paul says, if anyone preaches that, let him be accursed. So it's very, very important that we understand the grace of God. Without that, we, we are Judaizers. That is, we say that we are saved by grace and works. We've got to keep the law of Moses and also be saved by grace. It, uh, the two cannot go together. You either have works or you have grace. You can't have them mixed together or else you have works. Now, what is the place of works? Where does effort come into our life? Where does work come into our life? Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Literally, we're his poem. We're his masterpiece. We're his art show. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are in him, secure in him, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know why now we do good things? Because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we want to show a life of gratitude towards him. Not because we're trying to, to keep ourselves saved, but because we are saved. Because we understand the grace of God, therefore we live a life that reflects that grace. In fact, that's what I believe Paul is saying when you come to Ephesians 4, 1, where he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. I think that's a commentary on Ephesians 2.10. These are the works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, Paul says, based on the salvation, based on the security you have, based on this wonderful grace of God, live a life that reflects that. That's where works come in. Isn't that, isn't that much better than, than working out of fear, than trying to obey out of fear? It's out of God's grace that I live unto him and worship him. That's the place of good works. Now, that's the real debate over this whole issue. When all is said and done, that's what it comes down to. The grace of God. What are the dangers of not believing in eternal security? I'm just going to rattle off the five that we looked at last week, and then we're going to explore for the remainder of our time other serious dangers of not believing in eternal security. Number one, we said last week that you cannot understand other New Testament truths without an understanding of the grace of God. You cannot understand the rest of the Bible without understanding the doctrine of eternal security, you will inevitably distort Scripture to fit your position. You cannot understand, especially Paul's letters in the New Testament, you cannot understand that unless you understand the grace of God and salvation and the security that goes along with that grace. Number two, we said it leads to spiritual depression. It leads to spiritual depression. 
Without that confidence, without that assurance, you will flounder around, you will be depressed, you will, you will be unstable, you will be unsure, you will be a spiritual uh, loser. In fact, you will have no victory or very little victory in your life. Spiritual depression. Number three, we said it leads to dreading the rapture rather than looking forward to it. The Bible says that's a, uh, that's a wonderful event. That's, that is the blessed hope. Without the assurance that Christ is coming for us, that is a dreadful event. Number four, it encourages self-centeredness and introspection rather than Christ-centeredness. I'm not to always be thinking about whether I've lost my salvation or not. I'm to be dwelling on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not on myself. And if you think you can lose your salvation, you're always examining yourself. And that's not God's will for you to always examine yourself. Now, when the Spirit of God convicts you of a sin, that's one thing. But even then, you're not to examine yourselves whether you're saved. Now, Paul did write the Corinthians and say, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. But who did he write that to? A, a, a group of carnal Christians. And if you are living a life of total carnality, then I would say to you, examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. But if, if you fall and you slip in your Christian life, that doesn't mean you have to go back and, and uh, wonder if you're saved and, and ask the Lord into your life all over again. So it encourages self-centeredness and introspection rather than Christ-centeredness. Number five, it leads to improper motivation for Christian living. It leads to, to doing things out of fear and not love. And it also, in light of this, it also leads to careless Christian living because appeals are made in the Bible to live in obedience and purity that are based on our security, not our insecurity. The appeals that are made to godliness and steadfastness and perseverance in the Christian life are appeals based on who you are in Christ, not whether you are in Christ or not. All right, now, this morning we continue about the dangers of not believing in eternal security. Number six... It leads to spiritual unrest. It leads to spiritual unrest. How can I rest in his promises if I'm not sure they're for me? How can I rest in his promises if I'm not sure if they're for me? And I, as I was thinking about it this week, I was reminded of 1 Peter. And I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. You know, 1 Peter, the theme of 1 Peter is suffering. And the Lord brought to my mind the exhortations that, and the assurance that Peter brings to his readers while they're going through trials. Immediately, right off the bat, in verses 3 through 5, he speaks of the salvation that we have. And I thought about this, and I thought, that's why he does that. That's why he tells them their salvation is guaranteed. Because when you're going through trials, that's the only thing you can hang on to. That the Lord loves you. That he's got your best interests at hands. That, uh, that no matter if your life is taken, your salvation is secure. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. Catch that? It's not going to perish. And it's undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5. You, now look what he says, you, it's reserved in heaven for you. It's waiting for you. Well, you say, what about me? Am I going to make it? Verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, the moment you believed, 
You, you have that salvation and you're protected by the power of God. And isn't that precious? And then he goes into all the, the ways how to, how to endure suffering. But right off the bat, Peter says, I want you to know you've got a salvation that's waiting for you. It won't fade away and you're going to be protected. You've got that future aspect of your salvation. This week I received a card from a friend of mine. I didn't get the chance to ask her if I could read part of it. I, knowing her, I think she'll allow me to. But in this card, she, uh, she said this to me, and I quote, Another way that believing in eternal security helps us is that it helps us bear the trials of life. She writes, I think of the man who wrote, It is well with my soul after losing four children. He realized that no matter what happens to us, if we are assured of our eternal destiny, we can bear it. This knowledge has really helped me this year. This is the only hell we will ever endure, whereas it is the only heaven for the unsaved. This hope takes us through. I thought you'd like to know that, and I think that's so true. We can rest in who the Lord is and the salvation that he's given us, but if you don't have that assurance, if you think you can have it one day and lose it the next day, then you are really one who will never rest in God's grace. In fact, Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews chapter 4, says the person who rests is the one who has ceased from his labors. Just rest in the grace of God. Just rest in the salvation he's given you. So it leads, uh, if you don't have this one danger, if you don't believe in eternal security, it leads to unrest because you cannot rely upon his promises if you wonder if it's for you. Number seven, I think, is very important. And it's one that we often don't think about. Number seven and eight are very, very crucial. Now, those who don't believe in eternal security would never state it this way, but it boils down to this. It inevitably leads to calling the Lord Jesus Christ a liar. It leads to that. You say, how does it lead to that? Well, the, the pivotal verse of this whole doctrine as we've gone over, in fact, this is, why, this is what reminded us of, of studying this, is John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. Let me read it to you. When we came to this in our study on John, the Lord impressed upon me this is a good time to stop and look at this issue because this is the clearest verse or three verses in the entire Bible about eternal security. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, I want you to listen, because this is a sobering thought. If you perish, if any one of us who have, who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we perish, if any one of us, just one of us perish, or any of his sheep perish, then Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, has lost, listen, he has lost far more than you. For you have only lost your salvation, as important as that is, that is all you have lost, but he has lost something far greater than that. He has lost his whole integrity. His whole integrity he has lost, and that is ultimately far more important than an individual salvation. Even if John chapter 10 was all we had, Jesus made it so clear that those who are his sheep will always be secure in him, that once we get that promise in our heads, there can be no more dispute. But that's not all we have. The promises of eternal security are scattered all through the Bible. 
Hi, you've been listening to Verse by Verse and a small part of our series of lessons on the security of the believer. Pastor Steve Kreloff delivered these messages back in 1982 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he still serves as the teaching pastor. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road. Stop in and say hello sometime if you're in the area. You can find out more at lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside, and our web address is www.versebyverseradio.org. We have today's class and many more available on the Message Archive tab if you want to review or get caught up on something you might have missed. These audio files are yours to download or stream at no cost. The website again is versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson, and I hope you can join us for the next lesson on eternal security. Have you ever thought about the statement Jesus made that his sheep will never perish? What would be the logical conclusion then if any of them did perish? As Pastor Steve just said, Jesus would have lost his integrity. In other words, he would have shown himself to be wrong. In other words, not all-knowing or a liar, not trustworthy. Either of which would mean that he could not really be divine and his sacrifice for our sins would not have been sufficient payment. In other words, we would not actually... 